This morning, I'm going to tell you a story. In the beginning was a tree. Before the world fell, God planted a tree in the Garden of Eden, and he called it the Tree of Life. And it was different from all the other trees in the garden because it bore a fruit that men and women could eat and live forever. Here's a picture of what it might have looked like. This comes from the Bible Project online videos, a series of videos that I can't recommend highly enough. The Tree of Life stood in the very center of the Garden of Eden next to the forbidden tree, the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. There were two special trees in a clearing in the garden, side by side, one for knowledge, one for life. And our first parents made a choice. And the taking of the forbidden fruit from the one tree has permanently cost us access to the other. That is what God said at the end of Genesis chapter 3. He said, Behold, the man has become like one of us in knowing good and evil. Now, lest he reach out his hand and take also of the tree of life and eat and live forever, therefore the Lord God sent him out from the Garden of Eden to work the ground from which he was taken. He drove out the man, and at the east of the Garden of Eden, he placed the cherubim and a flaming sword that turned every way. Why? To guard the way back to the tree of life. In the beginning, we lost the tree of life, and we have hungered for it ever since. No other food can heal us. No other fruit can keep us from death. And so without the tree of life, we have been doomed ever since to age and grow sick and die, forlorn and hopeless, until we can get back to that tree. But God promised that a better day was coming. He gave a vision to his prophet Ezekiel, a vision of a river that flowed out of the temple in Jerusalem, a miraculous river that flowed east. And as it flowed, it got bigger and bigger. It started off as a trickle, but the trickle turned into a stream and the stream turned into a river and the river turned into a mighty rushing torrent, too deep and too fast to cross. And everywhere the river flowed, there was life, life in the dry desert. Trees sprung up like jack-in-the-boxes from the dry ground, and fruits bulged out of their branches like a child blowing bubbles. The river plunged into the Dead Sea, and the Dead Sea became fresh. The Dead Sea came alive. Fish came to live there, fish of many kinds. And the angel who showed Ezekiel this vision told him, and on the banks, on both sides of the river, there will grow all kinds of trees for food. Their leaves will not wither, nor their fruit fail, but they will bear fresh fruit every month because the water for them flows from the sanctuary. He said their fruit will be for food and their leaves for healing. That's from Ezekiel chapter 47. And this is a promise of a new tree of life. And little did the Roman soldiers know as they hoisted the cross of Jesus and stuck it in the ground that they were in fact planting 
that new tree of life. They thought they were doing a very different work. They thought they were doing the work of death, of execution, cruel and bloody. And when we imagine the tree of life, we see it in our mind's eye as something beautiful, don't we? Like the picture I showed earlier. We see it huge and lofty, spreading its elegant branches up to heaven, covered in rustling leaves and laden with heavy scented fruit. In our mind's eye, it takes on a supernatural beauty. How different from our image of the cross of Jesus. That ugly intersection of dead planks, pocked with nail holes, and spattered with bloodstains. And yet, we do believe that they are one and the same, that the new tree of life was planted there on Calvary. Peter twice calls it a tree when he preaches about the crucifixion in the book of Acts. In Acts 5, verse 30, Peter said, you killed Jesus by hanging him on a tree. And in Acts 10, verse 39, he said it again, they put him to death by hanging him on a tree. So then if the cross was a tree, then Jesus himself was its fruit and his own body was the food of eternal life. And that's exactly indeed what he said of his own body in John chapter 6. Jesus said, I am the bread of life. I am the living bread that came down from heaven. If anyone eats of this bread, he will live forever. And the bread that I will give for the life of the world is my flesh Whoever feeds on my flesh and drinks my blood has eternal life. And I will raise him up on the last day. Jesus said, for my flesh is true food and my blood is true drink. In other words, Jesus said, I myself am the tree of life that you have hungered for since the beginning of time. The food that you can eat and live forever. But this statement was truly shocking now, but even more then. And of all the difficult things that Jesus said, this was probably the hardest of all. It was at this point in his ministry, after he spoke these words, that most of his followers abandoned him. Because who can believe in a food of eternal life? But that was because they didn't know what was about to happen on Easter morning. The man who spoke these difficult words proved them by rising from the dead. The crowd watched him die and they saw his body torn apart. It was scourged and bruised and bloodied and crucified and pierced through the heart with a spear. But that same crowd saw that same man back alive three days later. And friends, not just alive, but healed, healed. The holes in him were already scars. The heart was completely mended. His skin was totally restored. Jesus was not just raised, he was also healed. And resurrection doesn't just mean it being alive, it means being healed too. It's the most complete and extreme form of healing. And when we pray to God for his healing, we are asking for God's resurrection power to undo the effects of death in our bodies which our Father can do because he did it for Jesus, and which Jesus has promised to do for each one of us. I will raise him up on the last day. So at the end of the story, God promises 
that we will get whole and complete bodies back and we will get the original tree of life back because of Revelation 22. The last chapter of the Bible that Mike and Red says this, then the angel showed me the river of the water of life, bright as crystal, flowing from the throne of God and of the Lamb through the middle of the street of the city. Also on either side of the river, the tree of life with its 12 kinds of fruit, yielding its fruit each month. And it says, the leaves of the tree were for the healing of the nations. It's exactly as the angel said in the prophecy of Ezekiel 47. So we see that our story ends where it began, with God and with his gift of the tree of life, from which we can eat and live forever. And in this picture on the screen, the artist has cleverly overlaid the image of the tree of life with the image of the cross, because the tree of life was planted on Calvary. So the conclusion is, what is the tree for? And the answer is, it is for healing. It is for healing. The leaves of the tree are for the healing of the nations, which surely means both the healing of the wars between nations and also the healing of every individual pain of every individual nation. So Jesus died and rose for the purpose that we might be healed. And that is what we come here today to seek. So if you've been uh, with us over the past uh, few weeks of Lent, you remember that we just came out of a series in the book of Lamentations. We lamented before the Lord. We counted our griefs before him. And we spoke aloud before him that we had griefs of friends and children and parents and grandparents lost, of our loved ones driven by despair, to take their own lives, and of our own bodies and minds crumbling before our very eyes. Why do I no longer have any energy or strength? Why can I no longer walk without pain? Why can I no longer remember things or make decisions? And why does my mind betray me? Perhaps we see today more clearly than ever our need for healing and on this resurrection day, we remember that that is the reason Jesus came. So first, we take comfort in the truth that we will be healed. It is a done deal sealed by the cross and resurrection of Jesus. So turn now to your neighbor and tell him or her, you will be healed. Thank you for that enthusiasm. Turn to your neighbor on the other side. Tell them, you will be healed. It is true. It is a done deal. Everything wrong with you will be mended. Everything sad will come untrue. That is the promise of Jesus. I will raise him up on the last day. The food of eternal life that we're about to share together in the Eucharist is going to have its full effect on us. It will well up in us to eternal life, to eternal healing. Jesus has promised it. So all the decay and all the deterioration that you see in yourself now will be eternally undone. Everything lost that gives you grief today will eventually be found. And the resurrection proves it, friends. If God can raise Jesus from the dead, he can do everything he has promised. 
So first, we take comfort in that truth. But second, today, we are allowed to ask our Father for a foretaste of that resurrection power. We don't have to entirely wait till the end of the story. We don't know whether or not God will grant it early, but he can, and sometimes he does, and we are allowed to ask for him to do it. In fact, the scriptures command us to ask him and not to give up asking. We can ask to borrow from our eternal reality and receive the resurrection power of God in our bodies now. So today I want to encourage us to do that, to do it together. I think we are usually a lot more useful to the Lord and to his mission healed than unhealed. Because we comfort others out of the comfort we have received. And seeing the power of God in our lives gives us faith to pray for the power of God in the lives of others. So I want to encourage us not to be afraid to ask our Father, or to be too proud to ask Him, or to be too faithless to ask Him, and not to give up asking Him just because we've prayed before and it didn't work. Today is the day of salvation, and today is the day of healing. So I want to think about two questions that Jesus asked sick people. First of all, he asked the paralyzed man at the pool of Bethesda in John chapter 5, do you want to be well? Do you want to be well? The guy had been there for some decades, and Jesus was like, do you want to be well? And today he asked that same question to each of us. Do you want to be well? Tell him, yes, you do. And the second question is the one that Jesus asked the two blind men who hailed him outside of Jericho in Matthew chapter 20. They were crying out, son of David, have mercy on us. Jesus asked them, what do you want me to do for you? I mean, the guys are blind. It's kind of obvious. But they knew right away. They said, we want our eyes to be opened. So do you know the answer to that second question? What do you want me to do for you? Find an answer to that question too.